Again, I welcome everybody to the Carolina Bible Group Bible Study Voice Room study this morning. Um, I hope you've been getting a little bit out of these, as I have. Today's study uh, will be study number 58 in our ongoing series entitled Angels and Giants Factor Fiction. Uh, and today is, of course, 9-11-22, 21st anniversary of, of the attack on the on the United States uh, 21 years ago. Uh, our purpose in this entire series, as I've continually said, is to investigate the angels and giants mentioned in Scripture, and by doing so, uh, try and alleviate some of the confusion that some Scripture verses seem to generate. Now, number one, I don't have all the answers. And the more I read uh, the Revelation, uh, the more questions I have. And it sort of makes me, as we've been getting into this, it makes me want to kind of dig in and do my own uh, more serious, deeper look into this thing kind of offline, and I may end up doing that. Um, but that's our purpose in this entire series. And uh, quite recently, as our angel study has carried us over into um, the Revelation, you almost we, we have to go almost chapter by chapter. Uh, because of the number of times that the the angels and other beings uh, in the heavens are mentioned in this uh, particular series here, or in this particular book, it's it's amazing. I think 72 times uh, just the word angel or angels uh, is used in the Revelation. And then when we get in there and get to digging, there are other beings that come out very interesting, as uh, the locusts did. Last week, I thought the the description of these locusts that come out of the smoke when when Lucifer opens the bottomless pit is is pretty astounding, pretty amazing. Things to a lot of things to think about there. And uh, I do want to reiterate this morning that as members of the body of Christ, that our resurrection, our appearing in the heavenly places as part of the body of Christ, takes place. Before, at least Ronnie believes that our manifestation in the heavenlies completes the Son of God. And I base that on what I read in Ephesians and Colossians, that the body is the fullness, the pleroma of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head. And once the body is combined with the head in the heavenlies at an event called the Epiphania, the appearing in the heavenlies, once that event takes place, then Christ is no longer hid in God, as we read in in the Scripture, but He is revealed, and He is no longer hidden because of His incompleteness without His body. He is revealed as the full Son of God with power, with His body, and with that, you have a completed full Son of God who has the authority and the power to go forth and to do all these things that we see mentioned relative to these angels in the book of the Revelation. So I want to make sure you understand that the things that we're reading about, we may have a view to them. We may have a uh, we may have a ringside seat as far as watching them unfold, but that as members of the body of Christ, I don't believe we'll be involved with any of this other than observing or doing that whatever the, the Son would have us do as members of His body. So I want you to, to kind of, I, I meant to bring that out last week and I failed to do it. I wanted to make sure that I got that in first today before we moved on. That you understand where we sit as members of His body, as believers in the mystery truth that Paul revealed after Acts 28.28. I wanted to make sure that everybody understood where the body sits with regard to all these events that we're reading about that are going to take place. And I believe that they are yet future. Because the sun is incomplete. I I have not yet seen the fruition of my manifestation in the heavenlies. And I don't think any of you have either. Uh, I know that in God's mind it's a done deal because we are dead, as Mike reminded me this week. We're dead and our life is hid with Christ in God 
So if our life is hid with Christ and all that's hid in God, then Christ, I believe, is hid in God. But there's coming a day when he will burst forth in the heavenlies and no longer be hid. And he will be completed with those who are his body. And we have no part in these events that I'm reading about in the Revelation. I wanted to make sure this morning, uh, well, no part at least as far as the suffering goes, the, the things that happen on the earth, because we're not on the earth anymore at that point. Um, I know there are things that happen in heaven, things that happen on earth, but the things that appear to be happening on earth as a result of these angels that execute the judgment of God upon the earth seem to be dealing with those who have no part of God. It's the vengeance of God set forth upon the face of the earth and upon the, the rebellious angels. So kind of keep that in mind as we go as we go through this. Uh, last week we, we stayed on course with our study of angels and angelic beings referred in the uh, referenced in the Revelation and their interactions with the earth and its inhabitants. Uh, so we finished up uh, Revelation chapter 9 last week um, and got through that. And so today, what I want to do for uh, today's study, uh, I want to continue in our review of angels and angelic beings uh, by looking at how they are used and what the interactions are in Revelation chapters 10 and 11. So, uh, as I said earlier, it's it's almost because there are so many uh, occurrences. I think the word angel is by itself is used four or five times in chapter 10 and at least once in chapter 11. So, um, we'll keep moving forward with that portion uh, of our study today. But as I've continually tried to reiterate, remember this is not an in-depth study of the book of Revelation. And it's not meant to be. We're only looking at how the angels interact. Now, <laughs> I realize that sort of drags the entire book into play here if we're going to get any contextual facts at all. Uh, but remember, this is this is not a study of the book of Revelation itself uh, as we move along. So turn with me this morning, uh, Revelation chapter 10, and we will keep moving forward in that. Now, pray for me as I try to understand things that are... Um, Obviously deep, uh, there are more commentaries and more questions about the book of Revelation than the books can hold. Uh, even Bullinger wrote a, a commentary on Revelation that we, we carry that book at Truth For Today. Is it Bullinger or Welch? It was Bullinger. I think Bullinger wrote the, his commentary on Revelation. That is a, it is an extremely thick book. A lot of information in there. I admittedly have not read that yet. Um, I would like to at some point, but time is a uh, time for me just to sit down and read a book is kind of at a premium right now. So, uh, not making excuses, just telling it like it is. <laughs> it, it would be difficult at best. So, turn with me this morning, Revelation chapter ten. Uh, let's start at verse one, which says, uh, John says, and of course this is after all the events of uh, Revelation 9 and the sounding of the trumpet of the sixth angel which loosed the four angels that were in the great river Euphrates and the four angels uh, that were prepared go forth and uh, lots of things happen on the face of the earth. And so we're picking up here as that continues in chapter 10, I believe this is the uh, part of the second woe. We've already been through the first woe. Uh, remember, there was a there was a sounding of woes in the heavens. Uh, three woes. The first woe it says is passed in verse 12 of chapter 9, and it begins the uh, unveiling of the second woe. Uh, which I believe carries on through most of chapter 11, if I'm not mistaken. So, we'll, didn't mean to do that. Let's pick up there at 10.1 uh, with the continuation of the second woe here. 10.1, John says, And I saw another mighty angel 
and another angel is in addition to the angels, uh, evidently that have already been mentioned. So there are a lot of angelic interaction going on here in these particular chapters of the Revelation. So John saw another angel, and another, of course, as I said, is in addition to the others that have already been mentioned. Mighty there is the Greek word ischuros, or Icarus, I believe, and it means forcible, strong, boisterous, valiant, powerful angel. This mighty angel come down from heaven. Now remember, the events of this, this particular area of Revelation are on the earth. Remember the structure that we looked at last week and the week before in Revelation? How things happen in heaven, then then it refers to things on earth, then things in heaven, then things on earth, and it continually bounces back and forth all the way through the book. Things in heaven, things on earth. It's like cause, effect, cause, effect, cause, effect. Remember that as you go through the book of Revelation. You can look at that structure, incidentally, in the introduction to the book of Revelation in the Companion Bible, if you have a Companion Bible. So... Uh, it's one of the strengths of the Companion Bible. Uh, it's a structure. If the only feature of the Companion Bible over the King James was to give you the structures, it would still be worth it to get the Companion Bible. Even without the word references and the appendices and the chronological timings and all the other great things that go along with the Companion Bible. So, not, not selling Bibles here, just... <laughs> Just tell me how it is. I was reminded of all that uh, by a guy in Canada that was asking me about buying one, and he wanted to know what the advantage of it was uh, this past week. And it took me a good long paragraph to tell him uh, about all the things that I loved about the Companion Bible. But anyway, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven or out from heaven. You see that? So we're still on the earth, still dealing with things on the earth that's happening to the earth. Uh, saw him come down from heaven clothed with a cloud. Had a cloud around him. And a rainbow was upon his head. And his face as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. That's the description of this angel. Typically angels are seen as when they appear in our dimension on this planet, they appear as light quite often in the Scripture. Or or actually, usually in the Scripture, if an angel appears, they either appear with a human body or they appear as some form of light. And this one has, his face says, as it were the sun, and his feet are as pillars of fire. Always brightness. Verse 2. And he had in his hand a little book open. All the seal, the other books that we've seen so far have been closed. Remember there had the one step forth earlier in Revelation who was uh, qualified to open the seals that sealed the book. And that's part of what we're, you know, we're part into those seals as they're being opened and as we're going through all these things that are being uncorked here in, uh, by these angels in the, in the testimony of the revelation. So it says he had in his hand a little book open. And listen to this. These feet that are as pillars of fire. It says, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. He must be somewhere close to the shore. Either that or it's a very large angel. I don't know. It could be a very large angel. Because I don't think they're too restricted by size. Verse 3. When he done these things, it says he, And cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And I bet this is absolutely horrific to hear. Deafening. Um to the people there on the earth at the time. It says, And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Seven thunders. So, the revelation is interesting 
in how, you know, this happens, it releases these angels. These angels do something that release something else, and that does something that releases yet something else. It's like a cascade effect. But it all has part in the, in the structure. And all these things, if you wonder why, and, and, and I've got into conversations with folks about, well, why does God do this? Or why does God do that? All these things that we're reading about happen, listen, according to the plan and the purpose of God the Father, and they somehow bring Him pleasure, because it's according to the good pleasure of His will, number one. And number two, this feeds in to the completeness of God. His balance, I call it. God's balance between His will and the things that happen. Everything I believe in the universe has its balance. If you look at the appendix in the back of the Companion Bible, 198, I believe it is, you'll see the, it calls it the plan of ages, or the eternal purpose, I believe it's called, uh, in Appendix 198. And you can see that for every event that takes place in Genesis, there is a corresponding event that takes place further down the road in the Revelation. I call that God's perfect balance. In all His, uh, everything He's doing with creation. You remember this, the big statement I made last week about Second Corinthians chapter 15. That God may be all and in all when, when all things are put under the feet of the Son and the Son Himself is delivered up to the Father. And then it says that God may be all and in all. That's where we're going. Every tiny single event that you read about in the Revelation may not make any sense to us. But let me tell you something. I bet it makes sense to the Father. And that's what we should be concerned with. How does this bring pleasure? Or how does this bring justice? Or how does this bring uh, a balance and a reconciliation to God the Father? That's the only one that has to be pleased, is God the Father. Even fairness, whether something sounds fair or not in the Scripture, is judged by Him. Fairness is not up to us to judge. We don't have all the information. We will never have all the information that God has. Amen. Trust me in that. No matter how great we may think we are, and how much we may think we know, and how, how just we may seem in our own minds, that's garbage to God. He and He alone holds what's fair. Not us. We can't even wager a guess as to what's fair next to God. And I, and I, I say that in love and I say that in all sincerity because as I read Scripture, it's His will that has to be carried out. And it's His it's his uh it's his judgment of fairness and of justice and of peace that has to be meted out as as time moves forward so this angel back to revelation 10 this angel it says in in the and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth and when he had cried seven thunders uttered their voices so here we have another thing being opened. And that's these seven thunders. Now, listen to this. Very interesting. Here in chapter 10, verse 4. It says, And when the seven thunders had uttered, and, and their voices is not there in the original text. So you can, you can scratch through it or leave it out. So it basically says, When the seven thunders had uttered John said I was about to write because what had he been doing so far with all these events as they played out 
He's been describing them to us. Remember, I've constantly said that we got our man on the ground in the Lord's day, John, and he's writing it down as it happens like a reporter, and he's reporting back. He's recording it in the Word according to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. As the Spirit and the angels of that time allow, John is writing it down for posterity's sake, right? He said, I was about to write in verse 4, and I heard a voice from heaven. Probably not the voice of an angel. I'd say this voice goes a little higher. I heard a voice from heaven saying, and the unto me is also not there in the original text. So you can leave that out. He heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. Whoa here. You mean we're allowed to see everything that takes place up to this point? And now our reporter is shut down. The door is closed in front of him. And he is not allowed to show us or reveal to us the things that the seven thunders have to say. Evidently that's the case. Now that's interesting. Paul talks about this. I do believe. And you can you can agree or disagree. I know there's some that don't agree. But this this particular statement in Revelation ten, I believe, dates the entire writing of the book of the Revelation. And I'll tell you why. Turn with me to Revelation uh, turn with me to Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. I want to read you something that the Apostle Paul said. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul goes through a lot of, of uh, Scripture to describe to you his sufferings. Let's read a little of that as it, as it draws down to the, to the close. If you look at 2 Corinthians 11.25, he says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once was I stoned, uh, thrice I suffered shipwreck, and night and a day I've been in the deep. He said he was in journeyings often, in perils of waters, perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, he says, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. He said, I was in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst. I was in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Doesn't sound like a very fun existence, does it? And then he says in 28, besides those things uh, that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. He says, who's weak? And I'm not weak. Who's offended and I burn not? And listen to this. Here's the key verse, I believe, in verse 30. He said, if I must needs glory, if for whatever reason I need the glory, Paul says, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities, the things that I suffer. Paul said, that's what I glory in. And this leads him to chapter 12 to where he begins to think of another fellow that glories not in his infirmities, but in the, the measure of the things that he's been shown by God. You see what I'm saying? When you look at the contrast of what Paul is saying about this man that he knew above 14 years ago in chapter 12, he's bouncing that off the the glory of his sufferings in chapter 11. To me, it's pretty simple. He's making a comparison. So go to the next chapter. Let's look at, as I said, 2 Corinthians 12. I wanted to bring out what was in 11 to make you understand why Paul is saying what he's saying in chapter 12. 
And he said, it ain't expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. He said, it's not, you know, all that important, doubtless, glory. I'll come to visions and revelations of the Lord, he says. I'll do that. And that reminds him about good old John, who's wrote the revelation by the time Paul's writing this. I believe that before Paul wrote these words, 14 years before this, John was in the Isle of Patmos writing the Revelation. That's Ronnie's belief. Now, you can agree or disagree. It's it, it, not going to hurt my feelings either way. Let's read on. Paul said, it's, it's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. He said, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. And he says of this guy, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, he said, God knows. He said, I just know the parameters around which the man said he was um, in his body or out of his body. He's, Paul said, I really don't know, but God knows. And he says, such an one caught up to the third heaven. Now you remember that we've discussed these various heavens. My view of the third heaven, and you again can agree or disagree, is that the third heaven is on the other side of the ice barrier. And the ice barrier, I believe, exists at the end of all that we know. All of our galaxies are contained within it. It is so big that man can't get his brain around it. And I believe God created it that way for that specific purpose. So we can't reach it. But everything regarding creation is contained within that ice bubble. All of it. The galaxies, the sun, the moon, the stars. The expanse of space that we measure, listen, in light years how far it takes light at 186,000 miles a second to go in a year. Now that's further than I want to walk. That's how big God is, y'all. We think we know stuff. We don't know anything. Try to get your brain around light years. You can't do it. I mean, I know we define it and we say it, but really deep down, epigonosco understanding what light years is, I don't. I can't really fathom how far that is. And we, me we measure things in millions of light years. Can you imagine how far that is? That's the size of the God that we're dealing with. That's the size of the God that has a plan and a purpose for all things. The third heaven is where God is. That's what we're reading about. That's where John is when he's describing to us all these events right there around the throne of God itself. Remember the four cherubim? Well, they call them beast. John called them beast. The four of them are right around the throne. And then outside from that in yet another circle, the 24 elders. Or the living creatures, you remember that? He's there. That's where John is, the third heaven. Well, that's amazing. That's what Paul says. He says, such an one, Second Corinthians twelve two, such an one caught up to the third heaven, pulled up there like a reporter on the scene. He says in verse three, and I knew such a man. <laughs> Again, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows. Verse 4, listen to this. How that he was caught up in the paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. <coughs> and I heard when the seven thunders had uttered, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. It was not lawful for him to utter 
those things. Do you see what I'm talking about? So for, above 14 years ago, 14 years backwards from wherever it is that Paul writes 2 Corinthians, guess what? I believe John wrote the Revelation. And the timing works out perfectly to fit right in there with Thessalonians and some of the other early books where Paul says of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for you yourselves know perfectly well, perfectly well, that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. Early A.D. 40s. You can put your stamp right there for the writing of the, of the Revelation. Now, even my beloved companion Bible says that the writing of the Revelation probably took place in A.D. 96. And I could not disagree more. To me, that's preposterous. I can't understand why, why the, how that even got in the Companion Bible. It makes so little sense to me. Dispensationally, after seeing all the dispensational things in the Companion Bible, and then for a statement to end up in it like, you know, well, we think the Revelation was written in A.D. 96. Uh-uh. Because that's even after the mystery and all those, you know, Second Timothy, everything is done way before then. I, I don't get it. And I don't agree with it. So there you have Ronnie's, Ronnie's argument against um, the late writing in the first century A.D. of the Revelation. I believe the Revelation was given to the people that it was being written to at the time that it was written. Why else would God write it? These other churches are probably not even any longer on the scene by the time you get to A.D. 86, the seven churches that it's written to. But I bet they were around during the early Acts period. What you want to bet? Just a, just a thought. The, just a uh, few thoughts there. The very expanse of what we're seeing here reminds us that we're only a speck of dust. Yep. Speck of dust with the breath of God. Yeah. That's exactly right. Speck of dust using God's... Using God's air. <laughs> the distance of the speed of light. We, we, we're just very insignificant as far as, as, as we can fathom now. Yeah, when you look at the, when you look at the size of even this entire planet Earth, with respect to the entire size of everything that's inside the bubble, we're not even a part of an atom in that scale. We're less than that. But God set his love on us, and he knows the numbers of hairs on each of our heads. Does that not blow your mind, or what? blows my mind on a constant basis. So I wanted to bring that forth for your consideration. I believe literally that Paul dates the writing of the book of the Revelation by the statements that he makes in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 12 uh, verse 4 there so you can you can check that out for yourself but I believe the correlation is is pretty good let's read just a little bit more what the apostle Paul says about this man he says in verse 4 second Corinthians 12 how he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter Paul says, of such an one, a man like this, I will glory in him. He said, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. Paul said, I will give John the glory he's due because of his revelations, but of myself I glory in my infirmities. The same infirmities that he just described in the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians. See, the story goes right on. That God wouldn't take away from it. God can't. God's never going to take away the things that Paul glories in. Neither is he going to take away what John glories in. And Paul said, I will come to my own revelations, but that's not going to be what I glory in. I glory in my suffering. I glory in my infirmities. You remember what, what um, Paul was told when... Uh, when he was struck down on the Damascus Road and then went to the 
the house of Ananias, he was told four things. And, and the last of those four things was, I will show thee what you've got to suffer for my namesake. That's what Christ told him. So when Paul glories, Paul doesn't glory in his revelations. He just said it right here. He glories in his infirmities, in the things that he had to suffer. He said for in verse 6, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be or heareth of me to be. He said, I'm not going to be a fool and glory in what ain't mine. I don't want to be a fool and do that. He said, and lest I should be, verse 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul was given a messenger of Satan, it says. Usually that's an angel. Ah, oh, was he assigned his own torture angel? It said that he buffeted him. How would you like to have your own personal evil angel to buffet you? Lest you, uh, as he said, be exalted above measure. Paul said, this angel was given to me to keep me straight. To make me remember what I was supposed to glory in. Lest I be exalted above measure, he says. Kept him honest. Kept him humble. He kept him thankful. And he kept him in line. I think I think the way he what he had to begin with, I think that was something that God knew that he would have to have to bring him down to what he needed to understand. Well Paul was chosen for a reason. Yeah. God picked him because he was the guy that could do the job. Yeah. And God also knew that he didn't keep a buffer on that somehow that Paul would begin maybe to exalt himself above measure. And Paul knew that. I think that had been explained to him because he said, I asked the Lord uh, uh, three times. Listen to this in verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice or three times that it might depart from me. I asked God to get rid of this thing three times. Listen to what he said. Verse 9, And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect, ah, in weakness. Paul knew then that he had to be weak so Christ could be strong. He said, most gladly therefore will I glory in my infirmities. Thank you, God, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. There's your answer. Paul never gloried in the amount of revelations. He compared himself to John. He said, John glories in his revelations. All the things that the angels through God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, showed John. That's what John gloried in. And Paul said, I'll come to my revelations, but that's not what I'm going to glory in. Direct comparison here, I believe, between himself and John, the writer of the Revelation. So, enough about that. I think I think you know where I stand on that by now and why I stand there. And um, like I said, it's for each of you to study out and agree or disagree on your own. I'm not gonna. Uh, I can't. <laughs> I can't make up your mind for you, and wouldn't want that. Wouldn't want that uh, responsibility anyway. So, verse five. Let's move on. Revelation 10, verse 5. He goes on, and John says, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven, toward the heavens. Have you got this picture going on in your mind as these things happen? I do. It's almost like somebody ought to make a movie out of this. I'm, I'm, I'm a lot like Wayne. Wayne is like, man, Wayne. You know, man, they ought to make a movie out of this. You know, all this technology we've got, you know, somebody should do this. And I agree with it. But that gets people's attention. If you really want to get somebody's attention, put it in a movie. That they'll watch. Are they, are most of them going to sit and listen to an hour long Bible study about these things? Probably not. 
Will they watch a movie about it? In a heartbeat. That's just the way people are. So the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven, Revelation 10.5, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, verse 6, who created heaven and the earth, earth and, and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. Time is up. And this is the time leading up to judgment. Okay, boys? It's over. I've waited as long as I'm going to wait. Time is up. The angel lifts his hands to heaven and he swears by the one that made all this, that made the earth that one foot is on and made the sea that the other foot is on, that time is up. It's done. But in the days, verse 7, of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. The mystery of God. You see that? That mystery is not the mystery of the one body. That mystery is the mystery of God. There is a mystery of what God is doing with creation. And here it's got to do with the mysteries of how God is going to destroy creation in judgment. It says in verse 8, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again. Now see, you notice at times it's the angels that talk to John, tell him what to do. Mm-hmm. And then at times there's this voice from heaven that tells him what to do. Different, different scenario. I just wanted to point that out as we go through this, so you'll see that some of the some of the interaction is with angels, some of the interaction is with this voice from heaven, which I think I know who it is. And the voice which I heard from heaven, verse eight, spake unto me again and said, "Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth." Ah. So now John has to go over and take the book away from this angel? That's interesting. So he's he's a good reporter. He does as he's told. In verse 9. John said, And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. I bet he said it nicely. <laughs> I don't know I would have. <laughs> Give me the little book, please. <laughs> and he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth as sweet as honey. Oh, this is what happened to Isaiah. Nope, Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 3, and let's read... Uh, actually, Ezekiel chapter 2. Let me get my um, scripture open here. Ezekiel chapter, let's start at 2. Uh, let's look at Ezekiel 2.7. I want to read 2.7 through 3.9 of Ezekiel, and then we'll be done for today. That's a good memory you have on you there, Dad. I'm always amazed at Dad's memory, the things that he can remember. Because a lot of times I'll say something and I'll just see his face light up, kind of like a light bulb. And I know where he's going when that happens. Ezekiel chapter 2 verse 7 says this. This is uh, the Spirit talking to Ezekiel. And thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are most rebellious. But thou, son of man, verse 8, Hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house, the house of Israel. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. And Ezekiel said, And when I looked, behold, an an hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. 
a scroll, sort of. Roll of a book was therein. Verse 10, And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without, and there was written therein lamentations and mournings and woe. Woe. When I saw that, I went, woe. Yeah, woe. That's exactly what we're reading about here in the Revelation. We're in the second woe. Any uh, any correlation here? Ezekiel 3, 1. And I want to read down through verse 9. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. See who he specifically sent to there? Now, if he went and spoke to everybody, would he be within the will of God? Nope. Ezekiel said, so I opened my mouth, verse 2, and he calls me to eat that roll. And he said unto me in verse 3, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, Ezekiel said, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. Ah, Sound familiar? Same thing. And he said unto me, Son of man, go thee into the house of Israel and speak with my words unto them. Now the big thing you'll note between Ezekiel's statement here and what John experiences in the, in the Revelation is that Ezekiel's belly doesn't get bitter yet. Interesting. So he said unto me in verse 3, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee unto the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them. You see that? For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech, and of a hard language, but... To the house of Israel. Huh. I wonder who he sent to. <laughs> when you get to thinking that all scripture applies to you, you need to read verses like this. But to the house of Israel. Verse, verse 6. Not too many people of a strange speech and of a hard language whose words thou canst not understand. He said, surely had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. What? <laughs> What? Just like the people of Nineveh did, you remember? They listened to Jonah and hearkened unto his words. Well, that's what that's what Acts 28 said. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to send it to the Gentiles and they'll, and they'll hear it. Verse 7, But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee. Wow. For they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impotent and hard-hearted. He said in verse 8, Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. Verse 9, As an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. The rebellious house of Israel. And I wanted to make sure that you saw this this correlation here between what Ezekiel experienced and what John is experiencing here as he took this little book from the angel and ate it. But now John's belly, the difference is John's belly is bitter. Why is that? Well, that that's homework for next week. Where was we? Verse 9. I'm back in Revelation 10, verse 9. John says, And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. See, the bitterness is mentioned first. Then the sweetness. And I took the little book. Verse 10. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. 
and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. But as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. You see that? That's interesting. Very, very interesting. And he said unto me, The angel said unto John, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. John, you're going to prophesy again between many nations, many peoples, many tongues, and many kings. And I had plans to try to get into some of chapter 11, but we're pretty much out of time for today. So we'll stop here. Hopefully you've got your wagon full of things to think about. I know I did when I got done checking some of these things out. And um, hopefully your wagon's full enough now to where you can go forth and begin to study some of these things out. At least I hope they are. That's my hope and my prayer. So we'll stop here for today. Bow with me if you would, and let's close with prayer. Amen, Doherty. Some will here and others not so much. That's exactly right. It's always been the case. Uh, all down through the testimony of Scripture is that some here and others don't. So. Bow with us and let's close and we'll get ready for the Arizona study today coming up next. Father, once again, thank you for this beautiful day. Uh, rainy though it may be, Father, we know that each day is another beautiful measure of 24 hours of grace that we otherwise would not have had. So, Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for the, the crowd that's here today, Father, for the fact that uh, so many have joined us. Father, we pray that the words that were said and done were said and done according to your plan and Father, according to your your wishes and and, and your grace and, and that each and every one that's here, Father, was able to grow a little in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and Father of your word. We thank you for all the blessings that we've received this past week. Uh, Father, we continue uh, to have heavy on our hearts uh, Dorothea's family and at the loss of Julie, we pray especially for her and her son, that you would bless them and that you would strengthen them, Father, according to your will, according to the, the comfort that you meet out, and, Father, according to the, the the measure of grace that we know exists within you. Father, we ask that you would, would comfort according to your will. Father, we we as we think back about this day 21 years ago, uh, Father, we pray for our country. As it seems that since that time, everything has just sort of went downhill. And Father, this too is probably according to your plan and purpose. But we pray for our country, Father, out of our our love for it and the, the people in it. God, that you would bring us back to you. And Father, that you would make us a great and strong nation again. Be with us and lead God and bless us in all that we endeavor to do in your name. Father, thank you for the, the so many books that are going out in the last few weeks from, from our ministry. and We pray that each and every one that orders them or, or reading them and looking at them, and Father, digesting the things in them according to your will and purpose. Be with us and strengthen us in all we endeavor to do in your name is our prayer. For it's in Christ's name we humbly pray.